Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where I speak with change makers about strategies for moving with change, and boy, have we got change. A worldwide pandemic and all the chaos cascading from it. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and in this time of coronavirus uncertainty, sheltering at home, and social isolation, I want to bring you a special series of helpful insights from experienced, body-focused practitioners in order to keep you healthy, protected, and calm beyond hand sanitizer and toilet paper. My guest today is Dr. Amber Gray, somatic psychotherapist, dance therapist, and authorized continuum teacher. Amber has worked in areas of complex humanitarian crisis, working with survivors of human rights abuse and natural disasters throughout the world. So she is uniquely equipped to help us find ground in the swirl of rapid change and the chaos around us. Welcome, Amber. Thank you, Sharon. It's always great to be with you. You know, you and I have spoken before on this podcast, and so I felt like it was a very good idea to bring you back to help our listeners move through some of the fears that may be triggered at this time of uncertainty and to help them find ways to settle within themselves. Yes, no, and that's something that I've been actually working on a lot both myself and offering some online classes and series. And yeah, it's a, it's a regular practice, I think, for all of us now. How do we do this? How do we, how do we become the predictability in a world that's so unpredictable? Right. And I did want to mention up front that you are currently teaching online classes called Ground in the Swirl that can be found on your website, ambergray.com, um, because uh, what we're going to be talking about today, um, helping people find grounding within themselves, you elaborate in these webinars. Yes, yes, and I intentionally use the word ground. Um, Wilhelm Reich, who's one of the fathers of the somatic psychotherapy path, talks about grounding, or his definition of grounding is that it's not a mechanical relationship, but an energetic one, and it speaks to really the connection that we humans have with the earth. And our common teacher, Emily Conrad, always taught us how our fascia, our connective tissue, was had the same frequency as the Earth, around 6.8 hertz. So there is an actual matching or reciprocating that can happen when we connect to the Earth. And I think right now our bodies, our homes, and the Earth around us, wherever we can actually get outside, are really essential for settling, calming, grounding, and energizing if we need to wake up a little bit, if we if we find ourselves a little bit disconnected or shut down. Yeah, I know. I've been spending time every day walking in my neighborhood um, at a social distance, of course, but walking in my neighborhood, walking my dogs, taking in a vista if I can, because it is absolutely uh, settling to my system. Yes, and one of the things that I've been talking about or um, teaching is that our system, a lot of times, I mean, we are a system, we're a body, we're an organism, we're a vessel that contains our magnificent spirit, and one of the primary systems that guides us is our nervous system. And literally, when we can do anything that is pleasant or pleasurable or grounding or settling, we're offering our nervous systems, which are really... use predictability and our nervous systems are always 
seeking safety and cueing us based on what's perceived in the environment and in our internal, very much in our internal environment, our body, um, trying to guide us to what's safe. And when so much is unpredictable and uncertain and there's so many layers of news and then, you know, we've got people, you know, reading online, you know, things probably sources of news that have varying levels of credibility, it's a lot. It's a lot to perceive. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to neurocept. And so anything that we can do that offers that, that regulation to our, to our whole system is also regulating our nervous system, which is going to cue us to, cue us to feel, to regulate, to feel hopefully a little bit better, whatever better is, which might be calm, might be a little more awake, um, whatever direction better is in that moment for us. Right, because we keep having a succession of um, actions that have been taken, you know, increasingly right. here in the United States. I live in California, you're in New Mexico, but, you know, one day the beaches are closed and the next day the, you know, all the businesses are closed and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so even when somebody is able to find um, calm within themselves, it gets triggered again, it gets triggered again each time you get a new piece of news, um, depending upon how it affects you or, or what your concerns are globally. Yes, I mean, I'm just thinking today, I went to the, um, I had to go to the store early in the morning. There were, there were two things that happened. One is, is CVS, our local pharmacy, told me when um, the Lysol wipes were expected. And when I, you know, got in early today so that I could meet the shipment, they were like, oh, they're not shipping anymore. They're saving them all for hospitals and medical professionals. And thank goodness for that, because they are truly the frontline workers in this. But then I had a plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to be able to get some today. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there it went out the window. And then I went to buy some groceries and they didn't allow my little cloth bags. You know, they're having to use paper bags. They're That's having right. to wipe everything down. And it's just, Every single day, we're having to take in new information. And it's not just information. It's not just like a bit of news that's a little bit stunning or a little bit surprising. It's affecting the way we live our lives. It's affecting, you know, what time we can do something that we maybe normally did at 4 p.m. or how we actually move through the grocery store or the pharmacy or the dog park or the sidewalks. It's affecting everything. And so we have to constantly reshape our bodies, our our beings in, in, in relationship to an environment that, that is, is not currently offering any, well, I'm not going to say it's not offering any stability or constancy or predictability because, again, the earth does, the trees do, the birds do. In mm -hmm. fact, many of us are noticing them more than ever, but the things that have really become the environment that many of us relate to and interact with shifting every single, it seems every hour. And that's really challenging. It's, it's, and it's a very unique challenge and one that I'm not sure. I've been in some very unpredictable environments like conflict zones and war zones. And even in those, I can think of some threads of predictability or some things that were more predictable. This one is quite, um, it's quite new. It's quite novel. And so where does that land in the body? Where does that unpredictability, that sense of constant disruption, how does that affect our bodies? Well, I think 
I already spoke about the nervous system, and, and, and again, just to reiterate, that I, I like to think of the nervous system as the North Star, the Southern Cross, depending upon what hemisphere we're in, and this is affecting every single, both hemispheres and every single continent. Um, our nervous system guides us, and it seeks novelty, it seeks what's new, and depending upon how we meet what's new, it can either be fear or Curiosity, right? Curiosity is is part of what makes or allows novelty to continue being novel and interesting. But the nervous system has a bias for negativity. It just has a tendency when things are kind of going wrong or difficult to focus on that. Um, And usually, not, I mean, hopefully, I'm going to say hopefully, when we encounter situations that are difficult, there's a moment afterwards to recalibrate. People living in war zones, people imprisoned, being abused, living in situations of domestic violence, that's not always true. There's not a a lot of space or time for recalibration. That's what's happening to us now. So a lot of people are talking about this context in terms of trauma, and there are definitely people who can be and will be traumatized this, but I really are traumatized by this, but I really... I think the uncertainty and the unpredictability is what's really challenging here and what makes this such new territory because, again, there's so much information coming in that our nervous system doesn't have enough time to recalibrate or to regulate, to actually say, okay, that's really, understand that piece of information, this is what we need to do now. Let's shift, let's organize, let's reorient towards that. So it's like we're constantly in a state of disorientation. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, yeah. Simultaneous to that is loss. There's so much loss of everything familiar and everything that's, that's ground again in our daily lives. And that's, that affects our whole body. Um, in my work, I speak of the biorhythms, the endogenous rhythms that support, support and sustain us, our heart rate our respiration, um, vascular feedback related to blood pressure. So if we're in states where we're feeling like we have to be alert and vigilant all the time, which is happening for many people, or we're terrified and shut down, literally accelerated heart rates, feeling so drained that we can't get out of bed, slow heart rate, not being able to catch our breath. So all of those rhythms are affected and the way we rhythm inside affects the way we rhythm outside. Inner movement becomes outer movement. And so the, what we're feeling, if it's fear or anxiety or depression or withdrawal or whatever it is, gets exacerbated um, because our, our body is, is literally shifting and moving us in these new rhythms. And then again, it's maybe harder for many people to... to find support or connection in the environment. Everybody's, I, I don't know how many people are sheltering in place across the world, but a lot of us are. So yes. we can't even access the places that we used to move and groove, if that makes sense. Right, the places we used to move and groove and one another. Many people, exactly. are, you know, we're, we're isolating in small groups at the, at the most, and some people are um, sheltering in place by themselves. Yes, and some people, a lot of the people who are sheltering alone are elders, people who, you know, it's an act of protection. We're trying to protect elders, but a lot of people who are in 
nursing home or assisted living, suddenly can't have visitors. Yeah. And those visitors are part of their rhythm. And, you know, even even when people are not well or some of our elders who may have, you know, conditions like dementia or some of the the ways that age and memory change, it's so much harder to, to track. It's really, really distressing to them because it's really distressing to the body because the body, uh, you know, another way that I think of our body is that it has it, it has its own, I mean, it has its own beat. It has its own way of, of moving. And so whether we're talking about it as a nervous system or internal rhythms, um, things, even digestion, even eating, I mean, you know, not being able to get the foods, not being able to get things that we perhaps usually buy, having to rely more on canned products, things like that. So nourishment, all of this is affected. And what happens in our body um, happens to our mind and our heart. So I always say that we can't shift emotional or psychological state. We can't shift how we feel if we don't shift physiological state. And that's the body. That's the rhythms of the body, it's the actual biology, the actual organs, the actual blood, everything. We have to be able to shift that in order to shift how we feel. Great. So how do how do we do that? What are your practices that you offer? So there's a, there's a couple. One, I'll just state that the very basic one is um, to ritualize at least one thing every day. And so for me, it's going out in the morning. We're very lucky to have a hot tub um, that we've had for many, many years. Uh, but it can be a, a chair on the porch. It can be a window that somebody loves to gaze out. Whatever it is, it could be a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, um, a certain stretch. Start every day with something that involves your body. Just about everything we do involves our body. But ritualize it. Bring some consistency and some predictability. And really feel it sense it. When I get in the hot tub, I'm really paying attention to how the water feels. I'm really listening to the birds. That's my ritual. Warm water, watching the birds. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I teach is called regulation breath. And it comes from, uh, I was working many years ago, I had some groups of, of young children who were members of our refugee community. And a lot of them had been through very, for, through, through war, um, which is challenging for anyone and, and really diffi difficult in those devel developmental years or the, develop the years in which we're developing. And um, this is something that, would, that I would use when kids were either getting too worked up, too amped up, or withdrawing. And so it's a very simple breath that tends to regulate the, our breathing and therefore our nervous system in the direction it needs to go. And so the way to do it is just to place your hand on your sternum, breastbone, um, or what I call the warrior's shield, um, placed so elegantly close to our heart. And just notice if you can feel any movement in your sternum. Some people cannot feel movement as a result of perhaps holding breath or breath being really shallow. And that's okay. We always acknowledge that our body is, is, is doing what it needs to do and being where it is in service of our survival and ultimately our, our thrival, but sometimes we are in a survival place. But just feel for that movement in the sternum. And then feel the direction uh, or the motion of the movement. And 
generally what the sternum tends to do is uprise on the inhale or rise or press into the hand and on the exhale it tends to drop back down into that chest space. So there's an uprising and then a dropping down. Mm-hmm. And then the regulating practice is to start to press with five, no more than 10% of your strength on the exhale. So we're using our hand to follow the natural movement of the sternum as it dances the breath. And again, this is, even if somebody doesn't have any movement, they can do this. And that's actually an opportunity for our hand to connect to this heart space in our body and to remind our body, to acknowledge our body that we know how it breathes us. 5% engages the connective tissue layer, 10% gets a little bit more into voluntary muscle, a little bit more into bone, whatever is comfortable. And I invite people to do that as long as is helpful. Mm-hmm. And to notice what's shifting in their breath. And this, again, if somebody's more in the direction of shutdown, feeling isolated, more in the realm of terror, this can upregulate or bring a little energy. And that comes from touching the body, the muscles, the bones. The contact is actually a metaphor for contracting and releasing muscles. And anytime we combine breathing with contract and release, we promote oxygenation. And oxygenation is really helpful because we tend to not, we tend to not be oxygenated, oxygenated if we're not breathing as fully right. as we can. We're also near the, we're in the area of the ventral vagal circuit, which from the polyvagal theory, that's, that's the, the part of the, the, the smart vagus connects to our social nervous system, our face, where we connect to one another. We also connect to our heart. So this is a really helpful practice. And there are a lot of oxytocin receptors in the heart and the belly and the mouth. And so the next practice that I do is called the oxytocin hug, and we can shift from regulation breath, and I would usually pause and invite people to just notice if their breathing has shifted and if their feeling state has shifted. Do you feel any different? We invited a physiological shift to promote an emotional psychological shift. The oxytocin hug, we can hug ourselves at our chest or at our belly. Just give yourself a self-hug. And then just gently rock yourself like a parent rocks a baby or like anybody holding a baby rocks a baby. And just a nice slow rock so side to side. Side to side, uh-huh. Well, you know, honestly, somebody can rock forward and back. I mean, I think whatever direction I always promote, whatever is comfortable, mm-hmm. whatever promotes ease, mm-hmm. because anytime we promote comfort and ease in times of discomfort, dis-ease, not, not being easy, challenging environments, we invite the nervous system to neurocept more accurately, which is a fancy way of saying we communicate through our the 80% of information that travels from the belly to the brain, only 20% of the information comes in from the environment. We're creating an internal state that says, okay, it's getting a little safer here. Mm -hmm. We're moving a little bit more towards safety. Mm -hmm. 
And so any direction that people want to rock, ease. And again, it can be the belly. It can be holding at the chest and just gently rocking. Marsha Lucas is a researcher who did some research on that and actually showed that self-hugging promotes self-oxytocin production. And that's the connecting, right? That's the bonding hormone. So it's a way to connect when we might be sitting alone in a room or only able to reach the people we love by Zoom or Skype or telephone. Yeah, so important to be able to experience touch when the only way that you can reach your loved ones is through a screen or through the phone. So yes. important. And yeah, and I've had some people say, oh, I'm not comfortable touching myself, so pick up, if you have a pet or if you have a plush toy, I have this big wombat <laughs> I brought back from Australia um, that's actually named Emily. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I, I can hug that. It has a real, she has a really nice weight and a feel to her. You know, pick up a physio ball, a pillow, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but rocking. And I always say to people, just rock until you feel like you want to pause and just pause for a moment and feel the, feel the waves. You know, maybe they're maybe they're waves that are actually related to hormones, or the oxytocin, or maybe it's just the kind of waves that we feel. Um, you know, the waves of warmth when we connect with someone or something that we love. But just feel the waves and do it as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. And they're nice practices to do together. Yes. Yes. And so then. So then as I'm doing this, I do feel a, a, a more relaxed quality in my breath, a more relaxed quality within my body. And um, let's say I sustain that for a while, but then fear comes up again or constriction comes up again. Do I just return to these practices? Absolutely. I return to the practices and I'm I'm going to, quickly stick one more in there because it's a grounding practice mm-hmm. i usually do the grounding i call it grounding to earth it used to be called polyvagal informed grounding but i usually do that first and then i do regulation breath and then i do oxytocin hug they're part of what i call a stabilization sequence that um i've developed over the years of working with survivors of trauma um so we can do these practices we can do the grounding i'm about to share quickly we can do something that we've ritualized or something that we love to do it's actually good to have a menu of things i suggest people write down five things this is what calms me down this is what gives me energy this is what offers hope you know just to think of the things that matter right now this is what makes me feel connected and to know the menu of practices which may be something somatic like this or it may be taking a walk, or it might be listening to a piece of music or looking at a piece of art with a soft gaze. Um, It could be any of those things. The grounding practice is quite simple. It can be done standing or sitting, and it combines that contract and release of muscles with the breath, which promotes oxygenation and that um, energetic connection to the earth. And the way to do it is quite simple. When we inhale, we gently contract our buttocks, our butt, our abductors, our side legs, and our hamstrings, our back legs. And more of the leg muscles will come along, but those are the three muscle groups we're focusing on. And we do that on the inhale, and on the exhale, 
we just let that go. And I usually invite people to practice that rhythm first. Inhaling, this is 10 to 20% of strength because the legs are so strong. 10% of our strength will get us into connective tissue, 20% into muscle. Whatever feels good. We don't want to squeeze so tight that we're efforting. This is all about reducing effort because all of us are efforting to keep up with what's going on. And then on the next exhale, press just your heels into the earth. So that doesn't require lifting the toes up. It's just an energetics, imagining the earth, the heels are just pressing into the earth. Some people ground with the whole foot, but the whole foot tends to, everyone's different, it tends to put the sacrum into extension, which is actually really nice if we've been sitting at our computers a lot, which many of us are doing, because that's more of a flexion. But by that, and by feel, that, you mean a curve. You, when you say flexion, yes, you mean that the, yes. the tailbone is curled under when we tend to be sitting right. for a long time, and now you're talking right. about sort of sticking it out. Right, which is which. So pressing the whole foot into the earth tends to extend the sacrum, which is a nice counterpoint to sitting for too long. Mm-hmm. But pressing just the heels tends to put the sacrum in what's called sacral neutral, and that's the space between flexion and extension. I like to call it the universal float. The, in Hindu, the sacrum is the seat of the soul, and when we're in sacral neutral, it promotes vagal tone, which is a scientific measure that more people have heard about because of. Stephen Porges' amazing work, the polyvagal theory, vagal tone promotes social engagement. Vagal tone is measured through heart rate variability or respiratory sinus arrhythmia, so it's an actual biological measure, physiological measure. What it means is that our inner body is going to communicate to our brain we're moving towards safety. Mm. It's okay to be yourself again. It's okay to move in the world the way you truly and authentically move. It may not make everything feel instantly better at once. And we know we can't go out and hug everybody we might want to hug, but it promotes that state of feeling connected and engaged and curious and interested. So that's a really nice way to ground. So to ground, to regulate, and to self-love through that oxytocin hug. Beautiful. That's such a beautiful sequence, and it's something that anyone can do Yes, as many times as they want to or need to during the day. You know, I think that, you know, observing, yes. uh, observing people and friends and, you know, asking people, so how are you spending your time and what are you doing during this time of sheltering at home? You know, a lot of people are... Um, distracting themselves in many ways, you know, just keeping busy because they feel that they might, you know, that a lot of things have fallen away, canceled, whatever. But it is also a time to make time, to make time for yourself. And this is, this is where I've been headed, you know, with my time is to make time for yourself and to allow yourself these periods of, of, um, of self-care. So that you can do whatever else it is that you need to do, that you can face the empty shelves in the grocery store or the things that are quite shocking because it's so different than what we're used to. And it brings up, it can bring up all sorts of fears of scarcity or 
um, whatever it brings up, right? But yeah. To, but to actually take the time each day, like you say, make a ritualized practice or just set time aside to um, do things that help you feel better. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's cliche to say there's always a silver lining. Lots of times that silver lining doesn't show up in, 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 in the lifetime of a person who suffered many things. And yet in this situation in which we're truly all in it together, and that's something that I think of every day, I take a moment to appreciate that, both to acknowledge how much fear and suffering there is in the world, but also how connected we are. And that this is, this is a moment where this virus, COVID-19, this, um, and, and the way that it's, it's spreading, which is what viruses love to do, it's, it's, a, it's kind of the great equalizer right now. And that's going to play out in the socio-geopolitical arena for some time, but it's showing us how much we're all alike when it comes to our vulnerability yeah. and how much we need each other to reinforce and um, express our strength and our resilience. Resiliency is not something we build. It's innate. It lives in us. It's, it's embodied. It's emergent. It, it shapeshifts in all the ways it needs to, and it's relational. So I connect into that reality all the time and I take time to appreciate the slowing down. I've been able to, connect with people that have been on my list for one, two, three years. I just connected with a dear, dear friend of mine and she goes, you know, I looked back and we've been trying to have this phone conversation the Skype for three years. No. <laughs> and we finally had it. Yeah, yeah. Because we both are at home. You're home, yeah. And, you know, we're grounded at home and I keep saying I'm grounded. People keep saying, oh, we're so-. I'm like, no, I'm just grounded, you know, like yeah. I was grounded as a teenager a few times. This is different. I'm grounded by the reality of the world, and I'm finding ground. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing to just recognize that while you're here, as long as you're here, as long as you're home, to make the best of it and to really feel yourself and feel the ground beneath you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and feel the ground within us, mm-hmm. you know, earth. Earth and, and, and body are so similar as our beloved Emily used to talk about how we're 70 to 80% water like the earth. It's, earth is mostly blue, but that's part of our earthiness and our groundedness, the, the composition that we share with, with the earth body, the earth mother. So I've, I hear of a lot of people who say that they're noticing more things outside, you know, of, of flowers that are blossoming in their garden or again the sound of the birds or the sound of the I, birds I, I, yeah this morning i was investigating tree buds the buds on our pear tree which i've seen before in passing but i actually went over and looked at them and i don't know that i've ever done that mm-hmm. <laughs> so the nervous system seeks novelty and when we meet it with curiosity and interest even if it's just for a moment we shift our physiological state. And I always say each physiological state shift, even if it's only a few seconds, it's like a thread. And those threads over time become a blanket or a tapestry that, that enfolds us and holds us and might be, and that's our ability to shift into comfort or into ease or, or into calm. So beautifully put. So beautifully put. Amber, I thank you so much for this conversation and for your beautiful offerings. Um, 
so helpful. And uh, I want you to please tell people again how they can find you, how they could uh, study more with you, uh, avail themselves of these classes that you're teaching where you really go into more detail of these practices and other ways to really help people move through their fear and this sense of being so disrupted. So can you tell people how they can find you, please? Absolutely. My website is www.ambergray.com and it has my current classes on there. And it also, I put a little announcement letting people know that I'm available online for therapeutic sessions, therapy, um, I do a lot of consultation and supervision and just supporting people with their own practices. Um, I have a Facebook page, Amber Gray Movement Therapies. I tweet, um, not very often because <laughs> I forget <laughs> to, but um, it, it's, I think it's Amber Gray. I don't know, hashtag Amber or AEL Gray, Amber Gray, but it's on my website. So the website and the Facebook page, and I occasionally send out um, MailChimps. So if people, there's a place on my website to sign up if you want to hear what I'm doing. Once the world, once we move a little more again, I'll be resuming classes in New Zealand, Australia, Austin, Texas, New York, various places I was scheduled to teach in the next few months. And that'll all be there. Wonderful. Well, you are such a tremendous and generous resource. And I thank you so much for this conversation. I thank you, Sharon. Talk soon. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.